0: Hello, welcome to Too Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to worry on, as well as highly informed about something new. Hello, 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 tribe. This week we have Jessica Perlman and we dive into eating disorders. What are the signs and what does recovery look like? Most importantly, if this is something that you think you might relate to or might struggle with, then please know you are not alone at all. Um, we also dive into this niche topic of what it's like to have recovery from an eating disorder and how, and have autoimmune disease at the same time, which promotes eating a very specific diet and how difficult that can be for some people. The challenge this week is daily meditation. For those of us who are not new to meditation, it's 20 minutes a day. So, oh my goodness, join me on my Instagram as I do this challenge at Shay Jackie and follow me on twosickandnaked.com. And please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and find this on any of your podcasting platforms. And I can't wait for you to hear this episode and get so much more information around eating disorders and recovery from them. All right. See you there. Hey guys, today I'm so excited to be speaking with Jessica Perlman here from here in California. Uh, She's an actor and a makeup artist, loves Pilates reformer classes and hot yoga,
1: hot and steamy. (laughs)
0: Hi, Jessica. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, so today we're talking about Jessica's um, got a lot of experience with with some illness and wellness. Sure and um, Jessica uh, has diagnoses of UCTD, which is on differentiated connective yep. tissue disorder yep. and sojourns. Am I pronouncing it right? That's how I always say it. Sjogren's? It could be that.
1: To be honest, I've heard it a couple different ways.
0: Sjogren's. 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 That's how. That probably is it. It's an autoimmune disease that I actually looked into that I thought I had for a while. And you guys look it up if you want to, but probably don't because Google can really send us down some... Google can mess you up. Can really mess you up. Um, But today what we're really talking about and focusing on is... um, eating disorders and recovering from eating disorders and what it's like to have an eating disorder and recovery from one while, you know, suffering from autoimmune diseases, which really focus on diet as a treatment and, and what that's like. So I'm really excited about this topic. Um, and let's jump in. Let's do it. Let's do it. So eating disorders, there are so many myths about these, for sure, these things. Now I just want to say, I talk about this a lot, but, um, you know, I definitely watched a dear friend almost die from an eating disorder, um, 12, 13 years ago. And it was my first, um, insight into just how deadly they are. Yeah. Um, I don't have a personal experience with them. Like, you know, I tried to be bulimic when I was a kid because I thought it was cool Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it didn't work out so well because I wasn't good at it. Um, I tried to be a cutter too. And like, I tried to like cut myself with a metal nail file and it didn't work out so well. (laughs) Like, so these are, that is my I so relate, but I'm like
1: smiling because I so relate. Like, I really tried to be bulimic too for a really long time. And it just was like, I was just not great at it.
0: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Kind of hard. But and for this, some, it's not at all hard. Right. You know? And so this is a great place to start because I think one of the big myths is that eating disorder equals anorexia or bulimia. Oh, yeah. And that is not the case. Um, so will you tell us a little bit about how yours shows itself.
1: Yeah. And first I just want to say that like, I am no, I am not a spokeswoman for eating disorder recovery. This is just me and my story. Um, You know, when I was in high school, I remember them pulling all, first of all, only women aside to, and at the point, anyone who identified as a woman aside to talk about anorexia and bulimia. And so I didn't identify with having an eating disorder because at that time I didn't identify with anorexia and bulimia. I also think it was fascinating that they pulled aside only women. You know, I think one of the biggest myths about eating disorders is that it affects only women. And actually, uh, my partner is a man in recovery from an eating disorder and it affects, um, a lot of men too.
0: It affects like
1: one out of 10 men, doesn't it? I think that might be the statistic. My, honestly, my boyfriend is, he's an advocate for eating disorder recovery, pretty public about it. So he has great statistics. Um, But, um, I will say this, um, I didn't identify, you know, however, I was on my first diet by the time I was in fifth grade, I grew up in a family where dieting was the norm. And, uh, there was a lot of focus on body obsession and looking a certain way and eating a certain way. And, uh, So I started obsessing about my body and the fact that it didn't look like anybody else when I was in third grade. And that led me to uh, restrict my food. And then that led to the binging, especially because there were a lot of foods that weren't allowed in my house. There were a lot of, there was a lot of moralization put to food, like good food, bad girl, you know, good food, bad food, good girl, bad girl, that kind of stuff. And just thinking about it. And there was a lot of fat shaming happening in my household too, because a lot of my extended family members were overweight. And I just heard a lot, I just heard a lot of like fat shaming happening and, uh, worth being associated with the way your body looked. So
0: there was just a lot of, um, Do you think that, do you have a belief that eating disorders come from how one is raised or that they are... Just something some people are born with a predisposition to. You know, I think nature and nurture. It's complicated.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's case by case thing. I know for me, there is addiction, alcoholism, lots of stuff that runs in my family, including autoimmune disease on my mom's side of the family. It's just like you're not a Weinstein unless you have an autoimmune disease. So um, you know, I think a lot of you know genetics. So funny I know you're just not a Weinstein unless you're sick as fuck. Mm. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, but I mean, we know now that genetics play a huge part, you know, in this. And then I think, you know, there's also how you're raised. And I think there's childhood trauma and, you know, what what I think is fascinating about eating disorders is people look at recovery in a lot of different ways. There are 12 step groups that look at eating disorders as food addiction or addiction based things that you, you know, work steps for and find a higher power for to recover from eating disorders. And then there's a whole world of, um, You know, healthy at every size and practicing intuitive eating that doesn't believe that eating disorder is, you know, addiction-based stuff. That, like, food, you can't be addicted to food. That it's been proven scientifically that it's just not the same as drugs and alcohol. So there's just, there are different, there's different communities that believe different things. And, you know, finding, I think finding a community, period, is the most important thing, you know, when identifying that you have an eating disorder And it can look like, I think that's what's so confusing is, you know, people look for physical things to try to identify eating disorders.
0: I was just going to ask that because that is another big misconception. Like if somebody has an eating disorder, you can tell because they're so skinny or whatever it is. So how do you, how does one identify an eating disorder? Will you take us there? Yeah,
1: it's, um, it's mental health. It's, it's, an, it's a mental illness.
0: Tell me how you identified you had an eating disorder. For I would... me, I think one of the biggest things that can uh,
1: trigger starting to pick up on someone having an eating disorder is obsession. Having to do with obsession. Um, how much time one spends thinking about food or controlling food or trying to control their body, um, over-exercising, counting calories obsessively, um, using anything like laxatives or pills to, or caffeine even to, um, anything to use as a diuretic, anything to suppress the appetite, anything to try to create more appetite for, to be able to binge. Like I know I used to smoke a lot of pot back in the day to when I went, when I was like going in the other direction, because I would restrict and then I would overeat and then I would restrict and overeat and I would smoke more pot so that I couldn't feel- how much i was expanding i
0: feel like the people i know that have eating disorders and the people that i've watched almost die from them are people that binged then purged Mm -hmm. and i think that there's often again another misconception around eating disorder is just not eating or binging or purging i mean
1: because it's a mental health issue the thing is people can die from eating disorders because they become suicidal Yes. So it's like you can experience physical deprivation to a point that makes someone so sick that their body's wasting away. And then you see people like my boyfriend who, um, you know, was lost 140 pounds, you know, when he went into his eating disorder recovery and he was eating so compulsively that he was over 300 pounds. And, you know, his body was was unable to, to move certain ways, you know? And again, there's, um, we finding out now with more research and more science that like what, what your body looks like is not necessarily an indication of how healthy you are too. And so I think, you know, it's just, it's, honestly, my personal journey is that I felt one particular way about eating disorder recovery for a very long time until I started getting sick with my autoimmune, at the time, undiagnosed autoimmune thing. And then because all of a sudden having to look at my food and changing it became prominent, I was faced with um, parts of my eating disorder that I thought were recovered, that showed up out of nowhere. So I think the thing about eating disorder, eating disorder is uh, eating disorders in general is that um, there's so many different manifestations of them and they can change and, and morph into different things over time, you know? So things that I might not have struggled with, you know, as a teenager, or even in college, all of a sudden became very real for me in the last couple of years in recovery from eating, from an eating disorder.
0: Right. So, what sent you? I mean, back to the original question that I got off track from. What sent you? What made you realize that you had a problem and that you needed help in the first place? Because that was pre autoimmune, yes. right? Yes.
1: Um, you know, I had gotten into a car accident and I was. Basically unable to move like the left side of my body for a couple months. I was doing physical rehabilitation and it was, you know, my, a huge thing that I did was diet hard, restrict hard, and then just eat, 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 and then diet hard, restrict hard and eat, 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 eat. And I was in that period of, I had been restricting, I'd been restricting, trying to change and fix and all that stuff. And then I got into this car accident. I couldn't move anymore. Not being able to move depresses me because I can't fix or control my body with exercise. And I just went on this like eating, emotional eating binge. And I woke up one morning and I looked out the window and it was just like, I didn't have, I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be alive. And I didn't understand what the purpose of my life was for anymore. And I agreed to see a therapist by my parents' request and, um, She suggested, you know, a a 12 step program for, for food recovery. And I was extremely insulted, you know, like extremely, you know, insulted because, you know, that program, the name of the program has to do with overeating. And I was like, how dare you? You know, it was just so, again, there was so much shame associated with like, uh, that I eat too much, you know, that kind of thing.
0: Do you think, I mean, besides growing up how you did, do you think some of that shame comes from the society we live oh,
1: in? 100%. I mean, we live in a society that is obsessed with diet culture and obsessed with, um, you know, body image. And, you know, it, it, it's 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 just extremely hard to to develop a healthful relationship to food that is not obsessive when everything around you is feeding you you better be on top of this. You better fix this.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And also what you said about healthy doesn't look a certain way. Right. Um, that That is not what our society tells us. That's right. I mean, um, you know, I, you know, even the BM, you know, the things that we're that we're told that we
1: need to use to measure our health, you know, are just so, <laughs> they're just so off. You know, for me, stepping on a scale is never a good idea. Hmm. It's never a good idea because I will never see the right number it will only trigger obsession for me. So, you know, that for me is not a great determination of my health. I even tell doctors when I go to their office, I was like, if you must weigh me, don't tell me, you know, I turn around. I just don't need to know because it's actually not an indicator of how healthy I am. They're doing blood work. They're doing all these other things that they can, they can tell that I'm in a good place.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. And, um, so that's an interesting point though, because if I get on a scale and I see a number, I don't get triggered into any sort of obsession whatsoever. That's incredible to me. Yeah, so, right. Cause I mean, that, <laughs> but that's, but I think that's an, an important point because having an eating disorder, it is an addiction, right? Or it is, some a, people, some, think people so. some people think so. It is a disease. Some people think so.
1: For sure. I don't think there's any
0: question about it being a mental health issue. It's a mental health issue. And some people don't have it. Yes. Like I, you know, and I don't, I don't have it. I don't, I mean, I can be a little bit, I'm pretty obsessive about my food because I just love it so, like I love eating healthy so much and I love the food so much, but not, but like I get on a scale, I see a number and I'm like, cool, I don't think about it again. And
1: you know, it's funny because there is an eating disorder called orthorexia, which is like, and I could, I might be, you know, totally wrong with this definition, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with like obsession with health food. Uh, And and again, like taking it to like a psychologically dangerous level.
0: Right. Which is not where I am. Right. And, And it's important to be able to determine that for yourself. Like what is the, what is the fine line that you can cross to get into this? So I think it's important to identify some of those things. Like you can't look at your, your weight and what are some of the other things that, you know, trigger your, your disease right. so there's or you're, certain,
1: what I yeah. don't know what to
0: call it no, for no, you. No. For me,
1: yeah. Mental, like anything that's going to put me into a place of obsession, you know, um, for me, um, my eating disorder recovery Today is about like gentleness and compassion, whereas it used to come from a place of fear. I was so scared about making sure that I was in recovery from my eating disorder because I had lost basically a life to it. You know, I was non-functioning in many ways, not showing up for myself in a full life in many ways because of it. Like life got real small and dark.
0: Yeah. There sounds like there's a lot of self-loathing. So much self-loathing. Attached to, attached to and, it. And so
1: much isolation just a ton of isolation, you know, a voice in the mind, you know, it's, you know, a lot of people talk about it, like that voice, you know, you have a separate voice in your mind that is telling you, um, okay, if you eat this now, you better do this later. Or like, don't eat that, don't eat that, don't eat that. And then you eat it anyway. And, and so today for me, you know, my eating disorder recovery is about gentleness, self-love and compassion. So for me, it's a, it's a, I make a contract with myself and it's about I don't diet no matter what. I don't diet because diets don't work for me. In fact, diets don't work for most people. There's usually a backlash to it.
0: I think that's a confusing word for listeners because I think we use that word to mean a lot of different things. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't just mean restrict. It doesn't just mean anymore like go on a diet, lose weight. Mm. But like I eat the autoimmune diet or I eat the, this diet or that diet. But like you do have, um, abstinence is what it, do you call it abstinence? Like you do have foods that you stay away from, right? Which some would consider a diet. Is that not true? For me today?
1: No. No. Oh, you don't. For me today? No. I know people in, you know, you know, just like um, recovering alcoholics and addicts have sobriety. I know people in twelve-step communities for eating disorders have something. It's basically food sobriety. But that that looks like what it's it's um it's different for every person in there because it's not as simple as you just don't drink or do drugs no matter what. Sure. Because manifestations are different for everybody. So some people have foods that they don't touch because it triggers obsessions, and some people that abstinence would kill them. Because there's such restrictors that they need to be able to, like, everything has to be possible.
0: Right. So yours is?
1: Mine is, I, I, my contract with myself is that, you know, what keeps me sane and, and serene and in love with myself is that I don't diet. And I say diet by, I don't, I don't pick any outside plan and go, this is what I'm doing now. Even if it's like, again, like the autoimmune paleo diet, it doesn't work for me to go, I'm jumping on that plan. Right, because it triggers, for me, it's a mental, it's it's hard, It's I don't know how else to explain it, except it triggers something in my brain that then becomes a restrictive thing and I no longer have a choice. And it takes away the choice. And then if I'm doing that thing, at some point there will be a backlash. And it's not a normal person's like, oh, this isn't working for me anymore. It's like, fuck the world, you know? It's like, I've been on this thing and I can't breathe. And then I'm gonna go into full blown self-sabotage mode. That's, you
0: know. it's so interesting to listen to you talk about it. Cause I can feel it yeah. like coming off of you and I'm like, oh, definitely don't do that. Definitely don't do that. You know, and it's like, I don't have that reaction at all. I don't, yeah. I don't even feel restricted, yeah. which is like, so it's just important to see that it is like, I do not have a predisposition or whatever right. to cause that right. obsession. Right. Um, and so you, so that's a great point. So you don't do an autoimmune protocol because that triggers something that will make you very sick right? mentally. And the thing is,
1: is that like, again, when I go, so here, just to finish, yeah. I want to jump into that, but um, I don't calorie count. Um, I don't overexercise. So I have to be very cautious with my exercise. I need to exercise so that exercise helps my depression, it helps my anxiety, it helps my chronic pain. Um, but I I have to keep it to a certain point because once I over-exercise, I trigger the body obsession. I start to go, ooh, look at me changing. Look at me, oh, look what's happening here. Oh, I'm tightening and this and that. And it's a difference between, hey, I feel really good in my body, I feel confident, I feel powerful. Then We're going to start to change some shit, you know, and now I'm going to, and now once I look like this, then I'm going to get X, Y, and Z. It's that constant belief that like, if I can fix this or change this or look this way or eat this way, I will fill in the blank. And that blank is just this void that nothing will ever fix, you know, like none of that stuff ever fixes that.
0: Yeah. So what does, what does exercise, what does not over-exercising look like? Yeah. Yeah. Does that, I mean, yeah, like what is an appropriate amount of exercise for you to do?
1: Right. You know, it's funny because, you know, I even had a doctor telling me, you know, five days a week, you got to do 20 to 30 minutes of cardio to help with your depression and anxiety. And from an eating disorder perspective, I had to say, great, that's great information. And I can't put like, I can't put uh, a routine on it, you know, for me personally, I know that, um. I, I like to get to Pilates like two to three times a week. That's just what makes me feel good and strong. If it doesn't happen, it has to be okay. Mm-hmm. It just has to be okay if it doesn't happen. You know, um, I love to do cardio. I love to do dance class. But like, I can't do more than an hour and a half of exercise a day. If I get yeah. into that, then we're getting into, like, over-exercising territory. Totally. And I, I would agree with I can't do five that. to six. I can't do six to seven days a week. A lot of people are, like, six to seven week, days a week. They're fully into their fitness. And, like, hey, that's awesome. Like, more power to you. That will destroy me. You know?
0: Totally. because I'm Because, <laughs> because
1: <I> am, <laughs> it's me in a mirror and the rest of the world disappears.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to put it. It's me in a mirror and the rest of the world disappears. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I would even from a person not recovering from an eating disorder, that sounds like, you know, six to seven days a week is too many to me. Mm. Five days a week sounds really manageable, but like go and more than an hour and a half a day also sounds like too much to me. Um, And you're right. It's like, everyone is different for me. That's too much. Like I feel my best when I work out four to five times a week, you know, 30 to 60 minutes a day. Totally. And... Um, yeah. And it's really important. Like we always talk about with health and wellness to, to balance, 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 balance. And that's the magic word Yeah. for me
1: that doesn't come naturally. So it has been a long journey of really understanding deep in my bones, what balance means, you know, and honestly, it's a one day at a time practice, you know, right. I only know when I'm out of balance by tipping the scale, you know?
0: Right. Right.
1: And I think that's too, why I'm such a huge proponent of, Um, writing, connecting and meditation, because for me, it's a practice of I have to get I have it's a practice of really starting to become conscious of myself and trusting myself when I did I couldn't trust myself for so long, because I was doing things that were harming me, you know, so to be able to start putting your focus into learning how to trust yourself and building that trust, because nobody else knows what's what's best for me than I do, except for, for so long I didn't. So how do I cross into that territory where I'm becoming my own best advocate? I have to learn who I am and it's an uncomfortable process. Um, but it's, it's so uncomfortable. And I want to say too, one of the parts of my contract with myself is that if I do overeat and let's be honest, it's going to happen, you know, because I'm a person and I'm going to overeat sometimes no matter what, I do not restrict my next meal. I do not over exercise, you know, like there is no damage control.
0: I love that. So you just brought up meditation. Yes. So we're going to Fucking jump into that Rah. that reservoir. Um, so Jessica's wonderful weekly challenge this week is to meditate daily, seven days. <laughs> Jackie's saying and wonderful
1: because she's like, oh my! I'm God. shaking
0: my head because I'm like, oh, why did I sign up to do these with you guys? Um, no, I meditate, and I'm such a huge proponent of meditation. Uh, however, Jessica is suggesting that people that do meditate do it for 20 minutes a day, yes. every day. Yes. And I'm like, oh man, so, that's past my comfort zone. Right, And that's the, that's exactly the point of it. And that's the point. If you are new to meditation, Jessica suggests meditating five minutes with a guided meditation for seven days. But 20 minutes for those of us who do it. So that's me. Tell us a little more. Go ahead about meditation.
1: Yeah. So for beginners, I just want everyone out there to know that when it was first suggested for me to meditate, someone said to set a timer for one minute and sit still. And I thought I was going to die. I'm not (laughs) exaggerating. I had never done anything like that in my... Can't tell you that I ever did that in my life. Just sat still for a minute. I was like... A minute has never felt like 50 years before. And it was so painful for me. So I just want to say, like, even though my challenge is to set a timer for five minutes, if you can do seven days, great. If you can only do five, great. If you've never meditated before... Set the timer for one minute and then increase it by a minute each day and work up to five. Um, guided meditations are great if you can't sit with silence. Silence was so painful for me for so long um, because it raises the vibrate. Like I can hear the voice in my head and it's so disturbing for me. And so for me, there's a mis- mis- um, misconception about meditation being that it's a, I'm supposed to do it to quiet my mind, right? And it's like, nah, I'm doing it to learn my mind. I'm doing it to observe me. And and to become more comfortable with my mind and my breath—not just my breath—it's not just about my breath. It's like I'm doing it to uh, get closer to myself and to sit through uh, whatever discomfort arises, and to notice like when I'm when I'm trailing off, and just to come back. And it's not about trying to make or fix anything. It's just a practice of sitting, no matter what. For that, it's that. No matter what, I'm going to sit for this much time. And I find that, you know, life is just unpredictable and stuff comes out of nowhere. And my ability to pause and make a conscious decision that is like loving and appropriate increases by like a thousand percent when I have a meditation practice. And it's a practice. It's not like if I've meditated that day, it's not like, you know, I meditated that day, so I'm going to have a better day. It's like, no, I've got this practice of meditation and now I know myself better. And all of a sudden my ability to make conscious decisions that are like informed, like pro me and therefore pro everyone else around me, because if I'm not really in touch with myself, I can't really serve other people around me.
0: Totally. Doing what's best for us. I always say is just about always doing what's best for everybody else in the end hundred percent. Um, so question. So I love all of that. And you talked about how meditation was one of the ways you got to like fall in love with yourself. Yes. Kind of, you got to learn who you are and then choose to love that person. So because I heard so much self-loathing and self-hatred and what you were talking about with eating disorders, you know, what does, what does life look like for you today? It sounds like mm. you are in love with yourself and, and there's like a lot of recovery around that. Yeah,
1: there is. There's And again, for me, it's a one day at a time thing. You know, there's days where... There's days where the voice pops back up, and today it's just like a recognition, just like my meditation. When I hear the voice that looks in the mirror and is and is starting to fat shame me, because I love to fat shame myself, you know. And I also, it's just I have such body dysmorphia. I do. You do? Not, oh yeah. Because I'm like, why are you doing? Why are you doing that? <laughs> that doesn't right. Doesn't make any sense? Right. Sure. I I do not see what I actually. It's. I don't see what I actually look like. I see something totally else in the mirror. Most days today, I do see what. I actually look like. And that is recovery for me. And recovery is also just not like hearing that voice. And for a long time, I got the um, advice to tell that voice, hey, shut the fuck up, you know? And that was great for me at first to tell that voice to just like, fuck off, I don't need you. But you know what, that voice is actually, um, it's, it's it's a flag waving telling me that there's something going on that I'm not looking at, that I'm afraid to sit and feel because it's an old coping mechanism that voice used to save me from like unsafe circumstances by shifting my attention and giving me the illusion of control you know and so when that voice kicks up today i'm like ding 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 oh okay i'm focusing on the way my body looks i'm focusing on the food that i ate or i'm wanting to change this which is a great way to go what are you not sitting with jessica what's uncomfortable and sometimes it's as simple as i'm bored Sometimes it's as simple as I'm lonely. Sometimes it's as simple as like, I am really sad and I have no idea why. And mm. I'm judging that. Like, it's so hard for me to be sad and cry. I'm like, what, the, what do I have to be sad about? You know? Well, it's a normal emotion that is meant to be felt just like any other emotion. But I w- won't feel it. And that will manifest as, you should probably control your body today.
0: Mm, that makes so much sense to me. You know? I mean, I have, this is all reminding me a lot of my recovery from the trauma of growing up in, uh, an abusive and alcoholic home Mm -hmm. because it's very, you know, the self-loathing and the self-hatred and the lack of trusting myself and the denial of myself and the betrayal of myself that happened throughout my life until I started getting some recovery from the trauma of that, like was so intense and, uh, and it did take some meditation. It took a lot of someone once told me this woman, Laura, who I love so much told me, uh, there's only one rule. And the only rule is that you never beat yourself up under any circumstances. Mm, I love that. It's great. And it was like, that was kind of the beginning of my trauma recovery Mm -hmm. from, you know, how I was raised and how I grew up. And, uh, yeah so it's really really interesting to talk listen to you talk about trusting yourself and loving yourself and you know not restricting no like all of that it's just reminding me Yeah um so I love that and meditation too like really helped helped me there's a lot of self-love meditations you can do oh yeah I mean look them up there are guided self-love meditations Louise Hay has amazing self-love meditations can I name a couple of different things that I love please do okay
1: so there's a a free app called Insight Timer Mm -hmm. and there's a woman on there named Sarah Blondin I believe it's B-L-O-N-D-I-N and she does this whole Live Awake series that I am just like so hard for it's so awesome they're anywhere between I think like five to not even 20 minutes. And, um, for someone who has a hard time sitting with silence, the reason I like her is because I find it's very easy to pay attention to what she's saying. She, she is, um, saying very interesting things the whole time to me and that helps me absorb. There is an inner child, uh, meditation on there. I believe that's about self-worth and self-love that is very, very powerful. And I'm someone that has really, I've been I'm someone who's been like, had a strong reaction against inner child work for a very long time. Like it disturbed me. It was so like, uh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. No, I was like grossed out by inner child mention of anything. And this particular meditation, um, on the insight timer really, really helped me. There's a lot, there's, um, you can do like eating disorder, recovery, self-love body image, body scans, um, healing from emotional eating. There's so many insight, insight timer has it. Um, insight timer is free by the way, guys, I have it and I'm going to look up her blonde. It's so great. And, uh, you know, headspace has been a great app for me in the past and um, part of it is free and part of it is not I think after a certain period of time it it becomes um, that you pay for it but what I really like about Andy is uh, he's this British guy so a I, there's something relaxing about his uh, dialect to me that's just like soothing um, but I really he teaches a lot of different meditation techniques to help you understand that it's not about trying to quiet the mind um, but he teaches like very specific techniques so if you're looking for like different techniques that's great I'm always a proponent for um meta meditations like one of my favorite uh, spiritual teachers is tara brock and uh, she comes from a buddhist perspective and i just love her meditations um i wouldn't necessarily i mean i think beginners could try it but um that would probably have intimidated me as a beginner um But uh, Headspace is great. The Calm app is great, too. Oh, I have that app. Oh, the Calm app, y'all, the Calm app app has bedtime stories now. It's so funny because (laughs) I used to do these meditations to help me sleep. And I kept saying to my boyfriend, like, I just want someone to read me a bedtime story. You know, I'm a 31-year-old child here. And I'm like, I just want a bedtime story for real, though. And then all of a sudden, they started having bedtime stories. And I'm like, this is awesome. Awesome, <laughs> You know, you don't even have to set a timer. It just That's reads amazing. you to sleep. Yep.
0: I want to totally check that out. Oh, yeah. I want bedtime stories it's too. Great. And now
1: they have like random people narrating it too. Like Bindi Irwin is narrating like one about like a like a kangaroo in the Outback or something like that. And like, I think I was listening to like, I was, I'm a Disney geek. So I saw Sleeping Beauty was on there and I was like, oh, Sleeping Beauty. And then it was like, hi, my name is Nick Vial. You might know me from The Bachelor. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Who is reading me to sleep right now? Sleeping beauty of all things.
0: I mean. The bachelor reading sleeping beauty.
1: Inappropriate. I don't know.
0: Like. <laughs> I love I know. that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. That's, this really good stuff. So let's move on quickly to the autoimmune, how the eating, uh, you know, the quote unquote diets affect you with autoimmune disease. Do you, I bet people suggest to you all the time. Dietary restrictions. 100%. And so, and I, I mean, if I didn't know that you had an eating disorder and you came to me and said like, you know, I have autoimmune disease, I'd be like, cool, cut out gluten, cut out this, cut out dairy, cut out And that doesn't work for you. That would be so dangerous for me. Dangerous for you. So what, um, so what, what do you do? How do you eat for your health, um, your physical health today? Yeah. Does it differ? So first I want to say that
1: I do have friends who are in eating disorder recovery who do do the autoimmune, uh, autoimmune paleo diet. And I just have to say, because eating disorder recovery looks different for different people, again, that doesn't trigger them for me it's like, it's just, it's, it's just like, what color do you have? You know what I mean? And so for me, it's dangerous, but I have a nutritionist who is so awesome and she specializes in eating disorder recovery. And, um, what's amazing is We make contracts together. Like it just has to be conscious. So for me, I really had to be dive a little bit deeper. And instead of assuming that I needed to jump right on the autoimmune paleo bandwagon, we have entered the territory of like very safely testing. And it's a a slow process. It's like not too many things at once because I can't overload the brain and I need to consciously be able to process how I'm doing with my eating disorder recovery as I'm moving into food allergy testing, because 100% I do have food allergies and, you know, eating certain foods, uh, trigger certain reactions to me and definitely do not support decreasing inflammation. So it's, it has had to be just a very gentle, conscious process of working with a professional and one thing at a time, you know, finding out, okay, how do I feel when I eat this food? And then at the end of the day, I still have to be able to eat it. I have mm. to tell myself, you can eat that. Right, You 100% can eat that. Right, And this is how you feel when you eat it. So it has to become so conscious that I'm moving my brain mentally into the territory of, I really want to take care of my body and I don't want my body to hurt. So how does it feel when I eat this food? And then for me to be able to tell myself, you can eat that food. And sometimes it's about eating that food a couple different times and not feeling great till, uh, till naturally on my own, my brain and my body align and go, we actually don't want that anymore.
0: That's absolutely true. And you need self-love in order to have that practice, which is like, you know, really at the root of recovering from any illness you, you know, it's digging down to the part of you that loves yourself. Yes. And you, um, same for me is like the reason I don't eat certain things is because it doesn't make me feel good. And I love my body and I want to feel the best I can. Totally. Um, and so I think that's that's a really, really important uh, point. And I love that you're doing it slowly and with a professional and intentionally. And yep. a lot of times when we're sick, we have this uh, or I did. And I meet a lot of people who do have this um, response to change everything at once, Fix it now. Yes. Fix it now. Go on Google. Do whatever Google suggests and just like do an overhaul of your life. (laughs) Which is how I lived my life
1: before eating disorder recovery and even for some years in eating disorder recovery.
0: Sure. Well, yeah. And meditation, by the way, will really help with this need to get on things and do them quickly. And I'm in this place right now too where I'm really slowing down, not answering right away, like doing all sorts of different things. But um, that is such, such a good little egg, a little gem of, you know, go slow. Yes. Things will reveal themselves slowly. The less stressed out you are about it, the healthier you will be. And, you
1: know, it's easier said than done. And here's why. I don't know about you if you relate to this, but, you know, I was sick for so long before discovering what was happening, not talking about my eating disorder, talking about my autoimmune disease. And you, I got to a point where I was so desperate to not feel so sick and to, to get answers, to do whatever it took to get better, that I started making all of my decisions from a place of, of fear and desperation. And the biggest thing is this, this obsession with time. I'm losing time. I'm losing my, my life. I'm losing my life. Like I'm losing time where I'm supposed to be doing, I'm not supposed to be sick right now. I'm 29. I'm supposed to be doing this and this and this. So yes, jump on the autoimmune paleo. Jump on the testing. Do all of this at once. Chelation, vitamin drips, all the different things. And that just made me cuckoo. You know. Yep. And Been so, there. Yeah. And so, and I think that's something too. Is like even before we know that something is or isn't working, we're on to the next thing. It's this thing of like I am so powerless over what's happening with my body that I'm going to do everything I can have control over now, and what ends up happening is. We burn out so fast and we then we can't even tell what's
0: what's helping what and that's the biggest i mean yes we burn out so fast and we're exhausted and we're like a mess and a puddle on the floor at that point yeah. but also that is the biggest thing like you have no idea what's, what's worked just, what's helping <laughs> you're just like oh i did everything at once so i guess i'm gonna have to start all over to find out what's helping right and it's like which is if
1: you're in recovery for an eating disorder if there's like let's just say there's 10 different things you can do to start getting better and one of them is changing changing your diet, as someone in recovery for an eating disorder, I'm going to go, I might try the nine other things before I start changing my diet. Right. Because I have a fucking eating disorder, you know what I mean? Right. So, like, if that might potentially mess with my mental health while I'm finding out that I'm totally cognitively impaired and blacking out in public right now because of my brain fog and my fatigue and all this other stuff, I'm going to maybe look at myself holistically and not mess with the element that has taken me so long to like get recovery from and try some other areas first before I can maybe, and then I can get my footing on the ground, you know, get some support there and then enter that territory when I'm, in a better place mentally. Totally. You
0: know? And I can relate to that with, um, CBD and mar- and medical marijuana. Yeah. I have, I don't, um, I haven't had a drink or a drug in, in 12 years actually. And so when the CBD oil thing and the medical marijuana thing kind of boomed, right, which is happening right now, uh, so many people suggested I use it. And, um, It's not that I'm against it. Like I'm not, like you're saying, you're not against people in eating disorder recovery using the autoimmune paleo diet. Not at all. I'm not against people that don't drink or use drugs fucking smoking medical marijuana like go for it do your thing I don't care but really doesn't feel like the thing I need to be doing (laughs) and so (laughs) I have consistently kind of been like yeah I get a no I just get a no like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing all these other things that are being suggested to me but how do do you
1: know you just said I get a no yeah
0: Because of meditation. Right. Meditation has given me my yes and my no. Like I know what intuitively I am going toward. And also illness gave me that. Mm. Being sick and listening to my body on a daily basis has given me the opportunity to say, my body wants that. My body doesn't want that. And I never wanted to be a person. That had that intel, that emotional intelligence. Like I was cool, not knowing, like not knowing, and just like going on. Get sick, antibiotics. Going on. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So anyway, I so yeah, I'm very in touch with my my yes and my no. And with medical marijuana and cannabis and CBD oil, I just I get a no. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of doing everything else first that isn't gonna fuck with my, with my like abstinence from from drugs and alcohol. right? Because uh, if that gets fucked with, I'm fucked. Right. So is everyone around me. Right. Um, so anyway, that's, that's really, really great. So do doctors, you know, suggest, how do you feel when people say to you, like, you need to be gluten-free? Yeah. That don't know your story. You know, for,
1: you know, last year was a whole different year than this year. And I just have to say, everything I'm saying now is coming from a place of like, I figured out what didn't work last year and things got real dangerous real fast. Mm. You know, I was desperate. I was so sick. I was barely functioning. And I jumped, I did jump on the train of, um, you know, uh, I had a functional... Uh, medicine practitioner at the time who did a Cyrex test, which is one of the very popular tests right now that functional medicine practitioners are using to identify um, how your body's reacting specifically to foods. I think it's the Cyrex Array 10. And uh, my response was like, (laughs) it was showing, I was practically reacting to every food there is. And uh, she put me on a very restricted diet of like basically eight to 10 foods. I was only able to eat Eight to ten food. Jesus. and at that time I didn't wasn't working with a nutritionist who specialized in eating disorders I was so I had a hard time advocating for myself because at the time I was so fogged out I could barely put words together and I she was down the street from where I lived and for two months I ate this diet I became so malnutrition like you know like I was I was totally like malnourished malnourished thank you yeah. I meant to say um uh uh, de- depleted.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. Like my
1: nutrients were totally depleted. Um, and it put me into the darkest place that I've been with my eating disorder in so long because it was like, oh my God, I had become totally traumatized and totally scared of eating food. Yeah. Because I had been told that if I eat any of these things, and she said like, you really can't stray because we really have to heal your gut. And if you eat any of these things, I can't help you. Like we can't go anywhere. And I, and I, I just got so sick and thank God I kind of came out of that and it was like, okay we got it. Now I got to heal from that. Cause that was actually a traumatic experience, Yeah, you know, and it really messed me up mentally. And I just like this last year has become about rehealing my relationship to food and being able to trust myself again and becoming my own advocate. So today I work with a rheumatologist. I also, who is like a Western doctor and she's like, I have nothing to say about autoimmune paleo. I don't think that's going to help you. And this is what, you know, she puts me on medication. And then I have my environmentalist, like functional medicine practitioner, who's like very science science-based and kind of comes from it, comes to it from the perspective of like, you know, genetics, um, environmental allergies, toxicity, that kind of a thing. There's just different opinions in general about how to approach recovery from autoimmune disease. And he even was like, you could try autoimmune paleo, but like, it may or may not help you. We need to see what the test says about how you're responding to different foods. And then he's like, and then I was able to walk in there for the first time in years and say, hey, I have an eating disorder. So like, I even talked to my nutritionist before going to see this person because I was so kind of scarred by working. I'd worked with three functional medicine practitioners before that who all had like diet, diet, diet as the response for me. And I was like, yes, but of course I'll do anything you say. And then it got really dangerous for me. So like I wrote a, before I walk into any doctor's office today, no matter what kind of doctor it is, I have a little prayer that I say that I've written, Jessica. We are in charge. Let's take our time, ask our questions. What's the time frame? What does it cost me or my eating disorder or my mental health? What are the side effects? Let's refrain from people pleasing. We are our best doctor. This is just information gathering. Our truth will be revealed in time and taking time now gives us time later. That is so important because taking time now really does give me time later because when I make urgent, when I make decisions from place of urgency and compulsion, I actually waste time later doing damage control. That's you know,
0: brilliant. so it's really brilliant. I walk into doctors today
1: and I say, Hey, I know that you might come from a place of like, um, doing that, but, um, I have an eating disorder and I'm in recovery from an eating disorder and I gotta be really careful with that stuff. That's like the last frontier. And even so, um, I open up the doors, I have a health team, and they all work together, and they've all got releases that say they can all talk to each other. My therapist, my nutritionist, my primary care physician, and my environmental uh, functional medicine practitioner, they all talk to each other, because we're looking at me holistically.
0: That's great. That's really, really great, and I love that prayer, and it's true. Take time now, and it gives you time later. Nothing is urgent, even though everything feels urgent. Yes. Yes. You know, it's best to make decisions slowly if you can. Um, and actually, a few episodes ago, episode four is an amazing episode for meditation and for trauma release and everything you're talking about that you actually don't need to quiet your mind with a meditation pro. Um, and then there's another episode on uh, navigating a cancer diagnosis where uh, my uh, Alina Furman, who really healed herself from breast cancer, did it so slowly mm. and it and so intentionally and strategically and really that. took her time. And it was like, you know, that feels like um, you need to make a decision immediately. And yeah. she did not. And she's totally better today. So it's like, it's so important
1: for me. I don't know about any of the listeners out there, but I need to hear evidence that that's actually true.
0: Me Because too. I
1: would be sitting at home being like, bullshit. Me too. You know?
0: I started to get better. When I slowed down, yeah, that's absolutely one hundred percent true for me. When I slowed the fuck down yeah. and became really intentional about my actions, that's when I started to get better. Yeah. When I got patient, yes, and when I fucking surrendered, yeah. Um, not easy. Easier said than done. Right. right? Usually
1: like, I get there after going through a real dark time.
0: <laughs> only. Me too. Yeah. Me too. It took two years for me to get there or something yeah. and two shit years, right? Or a yeah. year and a half or whatever. Um, so Jessica, that was amazing. We're all out of time. I feel uh, totally kind of inspired to do the 20 minutes a day, <laughs> but I feel really, really inspired just, just listening to you and your self love. And it's so evident and you're so vital. And I love being around people that are in love with themselves. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank and you.
1: It, and can I say something yes. to you? I would say, you know, if you're struggling for the 20 minute meditation that you're going to pick something that you're going to reward yourself with, you know, like whether it's uh taking yourself out to the spa or a movie, like something really juicy, that feels good, and you're going to give it to yourself regardless of whether or not you do this meditation challenge, quote unquote, perfectly. Ooh. So you've something I love to look forward that. to.
0: I love that. I'm gonna totally give myself something. Yeah, this is great. Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. You can find Jessica on Instagram at J Pearl Girl, J P-E-R-L-G-I-R-L. I will connect you below. And you can also go to her website at jessicaperlman.com. Um you can also find her on Facebook. And you're so awesome. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us. Jackie, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.